all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for joining us today. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. And I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell. Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today we're going to be talking about how to get healthy or stay healthy this fall. It is right around the corner. And so we want to talk about things that can help us stay well as we move into these uh, little chillier months. If you have a question or a comment for us, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring it's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can always email us, and that address is fit at mpbonline.org. Or you can go over to Facebook and interact with me there. It's Healthy Habits with Josie. All right. So if you follow me on social media, you know that summer is my favorite. Um, I absolutely adore summer, and so I'm kind of mourning the end of, of summer as it, it draws to a close, um, especially because, you know, it didn't get to do quite as many of the things that I normally, you know, enjoy doing in the summer, traveling and, and whatnot. Um, but fall is is full speed ahead. And so with fall comes a variety of, of different things, you know, shortening of the days, getting darker, getting, you know, chillier uh, and those types of things. And, and all of those can affect our health. Um, you know, we tend to think about um, colds and flu and that kind of stuff. And we absolutely want to talk about that today. But there are other things that come along with the change of the seasons that we need to be uh, need to be aware of and need to be working to, to maximize uh, our risks there. Before we do that, I do want to highlight something that was playing during the news segment um, before we uh, came back on, and that is that tomorrow is World Health Day, uh, World Heart Day, sorry, <laughs> World Heart Day. And one of the greatest things that we can do um, to work on our heart health is to stop smoking if you are currently smoking. And that goes right along with some of the other things that we're going to be talking about today, in particular for respiratory health, um, is to stop smoking. And that can seem like a daunting task, and in no way am I making light of that. Um, It is certainly very hard to do, but something that we should put um, our focus and attention on. Um, smoking not only impacts the respiratory system, um, but it also impacts the cardiovascular system and increases our risks of heart attacks and strokes. And, you know, in this time of COVID-19, we do know that folks who smoke um, just don't do as well with respiratory viruses. And so anything we can do to help with that, we want to do that. We've done several shows on smoking cessation in the past. And you can go to wherever you get your podcasts and search through the Southern Remedy um, podcasts for our smoking cessation 
um, content. Um, I'll also recommend the kind of national quit line, the 1-800-QUIT-NOW. That is free and is a great way to access um, resources to help you uh, stop smoking. Um, and not just um, cigarettes, but also stop um, using e-cigarettes and vape and that kind of thing that we've also talked about on the show before. If you have questions about that, we're happy to help you. Um, you can always email me at fit at mpbonline.org. Um, and I'll be happy to, to send you some resources to help you on your journey to smoking cessation. All right. Now, kind of getting back into um, the fall and working on um, things that are creeping up us on in the fall. First, I want to talk about the fact that we're entering cold and flu season. So we've got colds, we've got flu, we've got COVID-19, and then we've also got um, allergies. And we tend to think about seasonal allergies more in the spring, um, and definitely that kind of coating of pollen that you see on your car in the spring is, is something that gives lots of people trouble. But the fall also brings um, allergies on board. Um, ragweed is usually one that is kind of increasing between August and October. Um, and some people are quite sensitive to that, as well as just the fact that we're kind of indoors more as the um, weather gets a little chillier. And so we're then exposed to kind of indoor uh, allergens as well. And so we've we've never seen um, a season where we're going to have all four of these at one time, right? Where we're going to have allergies, we're going to have colds, we're going to have flu, and we're going to have COVID-19. And anytime we're dealing with disorders that affect the respiratory system, a lot of the symptoms are going to be similar. And so that is going to provide a different set of challenges as we move forward in knowing what the heck we have going on, right? Is it allergies? Is it colds? Is it flu? Is it COVID-19? Um, you know, each one of those has a little bit different treatment as well as, um, you know, requirement to self-isolate and quarantine. So there are several great charts out there um, that kind of break down the different symptoms, but they're a little wordy and, you know, can, can be a little confusing to read. So I want to kind of start with what would allergies look like? So what would be the symptoms that we would see that are kind of consistent with allergies? And so uh, kind of the, the big one that I see that is more on the allergy side of things and less on the cold, flu, COVID-19 um, is itching, right? So if we have some part of our respiratory tract that is itching, whether it be our eyes or our nose or even kind of the roof of your mouth where it has that kind of tingly, itchy, feel like you need to scratch it kind of sensation, that is usually going to be more allergy related. Now that doesn't mean you can't have some of those things with, you know, the, the other illnesses that we've, that I've mentioned, but, uh, the kind of biggest difference is usually that itching. Um, and it's usually those itchy eyes, itchy nose, sneezing, um, and then like a drippy nose. So not necessarily like the congested nose that we think about when we think of a cold, but more, a drippy 
nose. So either dripping out the front or dripping down the back of your throat. Um, you know, when it drips down the back of your throat, we call that post-nasal drip. Um, and I usually, you know, I do work with kids a lot um, this time of the year. And I usually say, does it feel like you got snot going down the back of your throat? And when they say yes, then, you know, we can kind of say that that's some post-nasal drip. Now, with that post-nasal drip may come a little bit of a sore throat. It may come with a little bit of a dry cough, which starts to complicate things a little bit more when we're trying to decide whether it's allergies or or something else. Um, but allergies usually respond to some type of allergy medication. So, um, you know, if that's something that you're able to take, you know, like a Zyrtec or a Claritin or something like that, and the itching and the sneezing gets better with that, then it's most likely allergies. Okay. Now, what about um, colds and flu and COVID-19? They're very, very, very similar. Um, but some of the things that make them different one is fever, okay? Most adults with a cold don't run fever, okay? So just kind of that general cold, you usually don't run fever. Kids, um, in particular younger kids sometimes will, but adults usually don't run a fever um, with that, whereas fever is much more common with um, the flu or with COVID-19. Um, the other thing that is a little bit different is um, the loss of taste and smell that is pretty um, significant for COVID-19. Um, so, you know, usually that's when someone I'm working with someone and, and they're telling me their symptoms. That's one of the kind of deciding factors for me is if they have a loss of taste um, or smell and that, you know, is, is pretty strong indicator that it, it's probably COVID-19. Now, if you've ever had a cold before, you know that at some point food starts to taste weird. Um, and that's usually because your nose is stuffed up. And so that affects your ability to taste and smell and those kinds of things. And the loss of, of smell and taste with COVID-19 is a little bit different. So it, it doesn't usually require that nasal congestion first. It's just kind of a, a, a pretty abrupt loss of, um, of smell and taste. Um, the other thing that we're seeing a little bit more is almost like pink eye or conjunctivitis where the eyes get really red. It's a little different than kind of the itchy red eyes you get with allergies and more like what you would think about with, with pink eye. Um, and that tends to be associated a little, a little bit more um, with, with COVID-19. At the end of the day, if you're not sure, just Air on the side of caution and kind of isolate and, and, and distance yourself until you're able to see a healthcare provider and get the appropriate testing um, done. And do go ahead and get that testing done so that you know, um, so that we know um, what we're dealing with. You know, in, in the case of seasonal allergies, there are treatments that we can do for that to help with that. Um, with the flu, if caught soon, there are some medications that we can give to help um, help with some of the symptoms, as well as if you've been exposed to the flu then and you're high risk, there are medicines that we can give to, you know, hopefully prevent you getting the flu. Um, with a cold, it's pretty much just kind of symptomatic treatment, you know, rest and, um, you know, hydration and, you know, symptomatic treatment. And COVID can be very, very similar to that as well, symptomatic treatment. But the, the difference there is that, you know, a longer 
isolation period and quarantine period on those things. So if you're um, interested in seeing the chart I was talking about, I'm going to post it later today over on Healthy Habits with Josie so you can see the breakdown of the different symptoms between seasonal allergies, flu, the regular cold, and COVID-19. Um, and I'll put that um, up a little later today for you. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell. I'm your host, and we've been talking about um, staying healthy this fall. If you have a question or a comment for us, our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email me, fit at mpbonline.org, or you can interact over on Facebook at Healthy Habits with Josie. Before the break, we went over some of the differences between um, uh, seasonal allergies, cold, flu, and COVID-19, and I'll have some additional information about that um, up on my Facebook page later on today. Um, but now I want to focus on something that may not you may not see the connection between staying healthy this fall and this topic, but it, it couldn't be more relevant, and that is sleep. Um, you know, I've mentioned sleep on the show before as really foundational in health, um, but I want to kind of really dig in and focus in on that over um, over this next segment. And if you have a you know a question about that or want to share something that helps you with your sleep, um, I'd love to hear that. You can give us a call one eight seven seven MPB ring. Now, sleep is is kind of one of those things that. I think people take for granted a lot of times. I know when I'm working with patients and I get to you know the section um, of questions that I ask and I ask about sleep, the vast majority of them go, "Oh yeah, I don't sleep well." Um, you know, probably more times than not, they report that they're not sleeping well. And so, you know, it almost seems like it's kind of a, like a badge of courage in America, like how much we can get done on how little sleep and still be functioning. Um, and it's not what can you get done, but it's what should you get done and what the long-term consequences of that uh, sleep deprivation or poor quality sleep are. And so in relationship to kind of what we were talking about before the break and, and these respiratory um, pathogens and viruses and respiratory illnesses that we have right around the corner, um, is the fact that poor sleep 
affects your immune system. And so poor sleep equals poor immune function. And when we're talking about immune function, we're talking about the ability to um, either prevent uh, an infection from kind of setting up shop or how well you do with that particular viral infection or any infection. And so we want to think about how do we get good quantity and good quality sleep because there are two pieces to it when we're looking at sleep it's the the quantity and the quality and so let's start with quantity and by quantity i mean how much sleep we're supposed to get and so in a perfect world when we're looking at the evidence on what has the best outcomes in terms of kind of all cause mortality about 7 to 9 hours is the, the amount of sleep we need to be shooting for. So anything less than seven, we've got not great health outcomes. And anything more than nine, we also don't have great health outcomes. So we want to make sure we're sleeping enough, but we don't want to be sleeping too much. Okay? And this has to do with lots of different things, but a lot of our hormones are secreted um, uh, on a pattern that kind of mimics our circadian rhythm or kind of our natural internal clock. And when we sleep all willy-nilly, you know, it really throws off um, some of those hormone patterns and our overall health. So if we want to be, you know, proactive in looking at our sleep health, one of the first things we can do is look at how much sleep we're getting um, on on most nights. Now, there's always going to be a night every now and then that kind of is a little little wonky and, you know, you don't sleep well for whatever reason. Um, but look at the majority of your days and ask yourself how many hours you're, you're getting um, of sleep. And so some questions I normally ask folks. The first one is, what time do you get in the bed to go to sleep, right? So not necessarily what time you go to sleep, but what time do you get in the bed to go to sleep? And then what time do you actually go to sleep? And so that can tell us a lot of different things. You know, if we're not even moving to the bedroom or wherever we sleep until midnight or 1 a.m., it's going to be hard to get, you know, good, a good quantity of sleep if we have to get up and go to work or school the next day. Um, the other thing is maybe we're getting in the bed at 8 p.m., but we're not going to sleep until midnight or 1. And so when and that's a very common uh, pattern that a lot of people people tell me. Um, and so my next question is usually what's going on between that 8 or 9, 8, 9 p.m. time that you get in the bed until when you fall asleep? Because that can tell us a lot of different things, right? Are we watching TV? Are we on our cell phone or laptop or tablet? Um, are we, um, you know, doing uh, schoolwork or prepping for work the next day? You know, all these different kinds of things. Because you may have kind of heard the the statement that the bed should be for sleep and sex only, and that is is accurate. Um, you know, those are the two things that that you want to kind of train your body and your brain that when you get in the bed, that means sleep time. So if you have other things that need to get done, then it's best to actually do those out of the bed. You know, if you're going to be um, you know, prepping for work the next day or studying for something for school, it's better to actually do that, even if it's just a chair in the bedroom, um, but kind of out 
out of the bed um, to do that. Um, the second piece of that is the use of electronics in the bedroom. And, and I'll get to that in, in just a second. So when do we go, when do we get in the bed? When do we go to sleep? What's going on in the time in between there? Um, then I usually ask, are you waking up multiple times during the night um, or any times during the night? And if you are, then what is, is waking you up? Are you able to tell? Is it noise? Is it light in your room? Um, is it because you need to go to the bathroom or do you just wake up for, for kind of no reason that you can kind of pinpoint? Um, and then uh, are you able to return to sleep pretty easily after that? Uh, then I usually ask, what, um, what about wake up time? Do you kind of have a consistent wake up time or do you just wake up naturally? What time is that? And do you go ahead and get on up out of the bed or do you, do you snooze a lot? Um, before you get up. Uh, and then I usually ask, on a scale of zero to 10, how rested do you feel? Um, zero is like a zombie, and 10 is just full of energy. You feel like you could, you know, just run a marathon. Um, and then do you snore? Those are, those are kind of my standard set of, of sleep questions that I look at. And through those questions, I can get sleep quantity, so how much sleep as well as sleep quality. Um, and those are both very, very important. We do have a caller on the line, so we'll go over to Olive Branch and talk with Steve this morning. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. I, I just wanted to comment on um, coals and vitamin D. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, I used to get what we call the crud every year. <laughs> I mean, yes. without fail, I would get it. And about five years ago, I started taking 5,000 units of vitamin D3 daily and have mm -hmm. not had a sign of one since. And mm -hmm. it convinced my wife, and she started taking the vitamin D, and she hadn't had another cold. Mm -hmm. So I know that some of the studies don't really support that, but most of the studies aren't using enough. Mm. Yeah, and uh, there's actually been some... Uh, relatively new things to come out in particular with um, COVID and vitamin D and how, uh, how those two things might be related. One of the kind of first studies that came out with that was looking at um, kind of how, how poorly people did with COVID-19 and was that associated with a vitamin D deficiency. Um, and, and some of that kind of early work did show that, that people that, you know, didn't have as good of an outcome were deficient in vitamin D. Um, what they're trying to piece out now is uh, you know, anything that is kind of confounding that or contributing to it, um, because some of the some of the folks that have normal vitamin D levels also tend to have just a kind of a healthier lifestyle where they you know eat more fruits and vegetables, get more um, outside time, and that kind of thing. But it's definitely something to to look at and and look forward. I think vitamin D is going to have more implications than, than we're aware of right now. Um, you know, my kind of caveat to vitamin D is, uh, just like it is with any supplement, is you know, make sure that you're getting a good quality supplement um, that's USP verified. Um, and then vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin. Um, the fat-soluble vitamins are A, D, E, and K. And so the potential for toxicity with those does um, exist a little bit more than your water sod water soluble I know, vitamins I know, I know you can get too much but it takes yeah. a lot to get too much it does 
it does for most folks. I just always like people to get a litter level checked, right? So we know where we are because some people may be quite deficient and may need more than, you know, kind of uh, even what you're taking there. So it's always good to know what we're dealing with so that we know how best to replace it there. Um, but you know, it's a, it's a great uh, tip to be, to be looking forward to there. I'm glad it's working for you and that you hadn't had the crud in a while. (laughs) I I have not been sick in years. And the thing is, I don't do any of those other good things. Like you don't do any of those other good things. (laughs) Good good eating. (laughs) Well, now let, let's see if we can't convince you to try a couple of those out as we, as we uh, work into the fall, they can only help. They can only help. Uh, but thank you for giving us a call today, Steve. And I'm really glad that, that you hadn't had the crud. That's a good thing. Thank, thank you, you so for, much for taking my call. Absolutely. Thank you for giving us a call today. And if you guys are listening and you have a question or a comment, you're welcome to give us a call. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring All right, kind of back to our sleep discussion. So we were talking about sleep quantity and quality, and I mentioned that about seven to nine hours is the kind of the sweet spot, so to speak, in terms of sleep. But we want that to also be good quality sleep. So when you look at how much you're sleeping, let's say you're getting that seven hours of sleep, but you still feel like a zombie in the morning, what's going on, right? Because if we're getting enough quantity, then we should feel rested if if it's good quality sleep. And so there are a variety of things that can, can be going on, any number of sleep disorders, whether we have um, sleep apnea, which is much more prevalent than um, I think people give it credit, um, as well as restless leg syndrome and, you know, other things that are going on to interrupt sleep pattern. Or it may be you've got a couple of furry friends uh, that hang out in your bed that like to um, steal space and and wiggle and bark and whimper and do all kinds of things that may be interrupting your sleep pattern. Or you may have uh, kids. You know, uh, my kids are finally knock on wood to that spot. They're twelve and nine where they don't are are unlikely to uh, get up in the middle of the night and come to see me. But I remember that period of time where um, it felt like you never got a full night's sleep going on there. And those are seasons of life that we, that we move through. But once those things are are kind of behind us, we do want to focus on how we get that good quality uninterrupted sleep and how that affects our overall health. So I mentioned that poor sleep or, or not enough or not good quality sleep impacts our immune system, but it also does some other things that we need to be aware of. One in particular is the extra strain it puts on our heart. When we don't sleep well, for whatever reason, our heart is not able to kind of relax and rest and recover, right? That's what's happening during sleep. We're resting, we're recovering, and we're repairing anything that kind of got beat up on during the day. And so when we don't do that, Um, our heart can pay the price for that. And so we can have increased blood pressure from that. So if you've got, you know, high blood pressure and you're finding it difficult to control, looking at sleep is one of the best ways to kind of um, latch onto that and look at what's going on, as well as, again, increasing um, heart disease, heart attack, stroke, those types of things. That's really, really important to look at. Um, blood sugar is another. So not sleeping well also impacts your blood sugar. So if you have diabetes or you're pre-diabetic, um, looking at your sleep patterns to help support a healthy blood sugar is also important. 
Um, and then obesity. Um, when we don't sleep well, a couple of things go on. We get, um, there's two hormones uh, that control our appetite, two main hormones that control our appetite. One is called leptin and one is called ghrelin. And when I think of ghrelin, I like to think of an angry little monster because he's hangry. And ghrelin is what makes us hungry. Um, leptin is what makes us feel fuller and more satisfied. And so when we don't sleep well, either quantity, quality, or both, then those hormones get out of balance. And the leptin, or the one that makes us feel a little bit more satisfied, goes down. And the ghrelin, or the kind of um, appetite-stimulating hormone, goes up. And so we kind of get that notion of wanting to snack and munch and do those things during the day. And it's usually not wanting to snack or munch on good for us things. It's usually sugary things or salty things. And so, you know, sleep really does have a foundational impact on just good overall heart health. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC, and we're talking about ways to stay healthy this fall season. We've been focusing on sleep, and we will continue to do that, but we've got a caller who's been holding for us. I'm going to go talk with Murray. Good morning, Murray. Hey, Josie. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Hey, Relevant topic. Appreciate you bringing that up about sleep. Absolutely. Could you give Absolutely. us some thoughts? I've got two things. One, yep. some thoughts on tools and tactics that, to get better sleep prior to and some habits to get into prior to going to bed to ensure that you have good sleep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that is a very... Uh, a very timely question because that's absolutely what I was going to talk about. And so, you know, I mentioned that people may have trouble falling asleep. They may have trouble staying asleep or they may have trouble with both. And over the break, Kevin asked me which one I saw more often. And I was like, both. Um, most people have kind of a mix of the two. And so the first question I normally ask people is, especially ones that are telling me that they have trouble falling asleep is, is it a choice that uh, you're, you know, you're not going to sleep or can you physically not 
go to sleep, right? So a lot of times it's um, kind of a choice. I know when my kids were really little, um, late in the evening was kind of the only time that I felt like I had to just kind of be me for a little while. You know, I wasn't being anybody's mama or fixing anybody dinner or giving anybody bath or anything like that. So I stayed up a little bit later. Um, for just a little bit of me time. And there, there's definitely something to be said for kind of pouring into yourself and giving yourself some me time. But you have to step back and look at, you know, is this impacting my overall health? And if it is really affecting your sleep, then yes, that's the case. Um, the second part, you mentioned kind of tips or habits to get in. And absolutely, you know, I think we think of sleep as something that just kind of happens, right? You know, like we just, we we go to sleep either from exhaustion or just that's our routine, but we've really got to be kind of active participants in setting ourselves up for good sleep. And a lot of times that starts with the sleep environment, um, because it definitely makes a difference and some things that help to support uh, a good sleep pattern and getting to sleep and staying to sleep are a cool room, a dark room, and for the majority of folks, a quiet room. Those are, are kind of the things that, that go on there. And I'd like to spend just a, a second talking about the, the darkness and what I see uh, going on with, with folks. A lot of people watch TV in the bed or use some type of electronic device, whether it be a cell phone or a laptop or a tablet or you know something like that going on. And they watch it for extended periods of time, then they cut it off and then don't don't understand why they can't go to sleep. Um, and so then they usually cut it back on because uh, they're just laying there and the cycle kind of starts to repeat. So one of the ways that we get to sleep is with a spike in melatonin and melatonin is a, you know, a hormone that you know people throw that word around a lot. A lot of people take melatonin supplements and that kind of stuff. Um, but we want to make sure that our, our pattern, our, our life pattern is kind of helping us use the melatonin that we already have. Right. And so that, that spike in melatonin that makes us fall asleep is suppressed with exposure to light. So if we think about before electricity, we kind of knew it was time to to go to bed when it got dark outside, and we knew it was time to get up when it got light outside, um, because there were no, you know, kind of competing lights for our attention, so to speak, inside. But now it's light all the time. Um, You know, we come into our house after the sun has gone down and all the lights are on, um, multiple TVs or, or um, computers are on, and that light is kind of constantly coming out and actually stimulating a spot. Um, it has a big, huge, long name. I won't even bore y'all with the name of it, but it is a little light receptor kind of at the, at the back of our eye that senses the light and tells us, hey, it's not time to fall asleep. Um, the blue light that comes from electronics uh, is particularly um, great at stimulating that area. And so when we watch TV and use these other electronic devices and then cut them off and immediately try and go to sleep, our brain is, is not quite sure what the heck we're doing because it thinks it's, it's still daylight, so to speak. So some habits to get in, in, um, in the process of doing is as the sun starts to go down, also start to dim the lights inside your home, right? If you have um, a dimmer switch, then start to cut those 
down a little bit. Um, if you don't, then, you know, big overhead lights, maybe we can cut those off and use more um, spotlighting like lamps and those kinds of things. Um, and then in terms of your TV and your electronics, um, about 30 to 60 minutes, ideally 60 minutes, but about 30 to 60 minutes before you want to be asleep, those need to go off, right? So if we know that we need to be asleep by 11 p.m. so that we get our seven hours in, then by 10, um, the TV or the other electronic really should go off. Um, and that's a big change for a lot of folks and some things that we have to work on. And it's not an all or nothing thing. Sometimes we just work on backing it up by about 15 minutes. But that is the process that needs to be in place to help support a healthy sleep pattern. Great. All right, Mer. Yeah. What? Go ahead. What's the deal with those? What's the deal with those little sleep uh, pads? It's got the little disc on them, as well as weighted blankets. If you see that out, people ask about those all the time. What are your thoughts on yeah. those devices? So the first one, I'm not quite sure. I know what it is. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? It's just a little mat. It's got little uh, disc on them that stimulate, I guess, your proprioception. You know, it's kind of like a oh. type of thing. It's supposed to help you if you lay down on it. It's supposed to help you go to sleep better. Then the weighted blankets, well, I think, in the cool environment are similar, too. Yeah. Yeah. The weighted blankets I'm familiar with. The other one I'm not, but I'm definitely going to look in into that and check that out a little bit more. Weighted blankets, you know, I've seen people that either really love the weighted blanket or really don't. Um, some people uh, have gotten a little, a little too heavy of a blanket, I think, and kind of feel like they're um, smothering almost. But the lighter weighted blankets, especially for people who feel like they toss and turn or have anxiety that is keeping them from, from going to sleep, the weighted blankets have been helpful for them there. Um, so I don't really have a problem with those. I do like the fact that um, a blanket helps warm the extremities, which also helps with going to sleep. Um, you know, we tend, th that's kind of one of the reasons for the cool bedroom. We want the core body temperature to go down while the um, kind of the temperature in the extremities or your arms and legs goes up. Um, so an extra blanket across the bottom of the bed, socks, although some people look at me like I have 12 heads when I tell them that socks will help you <laughs> help you go to sleep. They're like, I'm not doing that, lady. Um, so, you know, we'll just throw an extra blanket down across the bottom of the bed, and those things really do um, help there. You know, sleep is such a complex um, system, um, and, you know, it's a wonder any of us get good sleep when you think about all the things that go into it, but it does require some intentionality and some planning there. Um, to get into those good sleep patterns. Josie, thank you very much for answering my question. This is a great show, and you always do a great job. Thank you for what you do. Well, thank you for listening, and thank you for giving us a call. Stay safe out on the road today. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio 
or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, and we've been talking all about how to stay healthy and well this fall season. We spent a fair amount of time on sleep, and it it deserves even more time, but we'll put a pin in that uh, for sleep today, unless you have a question about sleep, which you're welcome to do. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring or you can send us an email, fit at mpbonline.org. I hope to have a a whole sleep show in the near future, working on getting someone to come in and talk with us about all the different things that sleep affects, not just um, immune function and heart health. But I want to kind of think about some other things that may be going on right now, in particular, the fact that we're going to be spending more time indoors in the very near future as the weather um, you know, gets colder and, and we, you know, get a little bit more huddled inside. And so with that, um, we're going to be in closer contact with people, not able to spread out as much, as well as now being exposed to that kind of indoor air and how that might kind of wreak havoc on our uh at least our nasal passages, um, so to speak. I see a lot of people that as the weather changes and they start to cut on their heat or the um, temperature in their office building starts to change, they start to get kind of nasal congestion and stuffiness or nosebleeds and and all those different types of things. And that is usually because that air is drier. So the humidity um, is, is much lower in kind of those public building spaces, um, as well as the use of um, you know, heat in your homes does tend to dry the air out a little bit more. And that can cause some of that stuffiness as well as the nosebleeds. And then the second piece of that is when our nose kind of dries out, that makes it easier for um, viruses to stay in there and make you sick. And so it can increase our, our cold and flu and COVID risks. And so some things that we can think about doing for that is, you know, in your home, you can use a humidifier. Um, I do usually recommend cool mist humidifiers, not um, warm humidifiers for a variety of reasons, but warm, moist environments are kind of a um, breeding ground for bacteria and fungus. And so those um, types of humidifiers do um, tend to get a little funky um, and can actually, you know, harm us instead of making us better. As well as if you have little kiddos that may pull down on things or you have um, anybody that has mobility issues or is elderly um, and may trip or knock things over, then the, the warm um, humidifiers can actually cause burns in people who have um, thinner skin. So those are just usually not not the best route, but the cool mist humidifiers um, can be a good way to add some humidification to the air. The second is maybe even some nasal saline uh, to help keep those nasal passages nice and uh, moist. I do like the mist variety of that more than 
um, just the kind of stream of saline, that one feels like you're trying to water pick your brain. Um, but the, the mist one is a much more gentle distribution of saline around, uh, around your nose. And then sometimes at night, especially people who are having um, a lot of nasal dryness at night and nosebleeds during the night and those types of things, a little bit of um, just a, a little bit, like just a little bit of Vaseline on a Q-tip, just right on the insides of um, of the nose, can help keep that area nice and moist. Don't be globbing a bunch of Vaseline up your nose; that defeats the purpose. Um, and I say that because I've seen that um, happen with folks. We're just talking about just a little bit of lubrication um, on the inside of the nose to keep it nice and moist there. Um, the other part that can come with drier air is dry skin, um, and that can be a problem for people who have issues with eczema. Um, uh, my kids had eczema really bad when they were little, and so the fall and winter times were you know, perfect storms for those things flaring up there. And so really making sure that we um, are hydrating our skin because we're washing our hands so much more than, than we used to, or I hope we're washing our hands so much more than we used to, and using alcohol-based hand sanitizers. Our hands tend to dry out. So dry skin is really um, going to be a problem moving forward. So it's important that we think about the temperature of the water that we're using to wash our hands as well as to bathe or shower. Um, does it need to be blister your skin off hot? Uh, it just needs to be warm. The hotter the water, the more drying effect it has on the skin. Um, when we're getting out of a shower or out of the bath, um, we want to not kind of vigorously rub the skin. Again, that kind of damages that barrier um, and makes things like eczema worse. We kind of just want to pat the skin dry and then apply a really good moisturizer. And so moisturizers for dry skin, we're not trying to smell any certain way. Uh, we're not trying to glitter. Uh, there's all kinds of lotions and things out there. That's not, that's not our game. We're trying to lock in uh, the moisture in our skin. And so really plain, really unscented, hypoallergenic, type of moisturizers is where we want to um, to aim. Things like Aquaphor is a great one. Eucerin is another good one. Plain old Vaseline works well too um, to kind of help those things. Me as a nurse, I wash, I wash my hands an incredible amount of time. So in the, especially in the winter times, usually at night, I will put a light coating of either Vaseline or um, uh, Aquaphor, something like that on my hands. And then I'll put a pair of cotton gloves on and sleep in those to try and kind of rehydrate my hands uh, during the night because they do get so dry and cracked um, during the day. Um, and sometimes we have to put those things on multiple times a day if we have folks with really, really, really dry skin there. But we do want to avoid those frequent fragrances and scents and colors and dyes and all those different kinds of things because they are more likely um, to irritate um, the skin there. In the very last few minutes, I want to put my plug in for your flu shot. Um, now is the time to get that flu shot. There's a recent study that came out that said one in three parents did not plan to vaccinate their child against the flu this season. I cannot urge you more to get the flu shot. We have never seen um, a pandemic in combination with seasonal flu, but emerging evidence from um, across the pond is indicating that um, the two of those together uh, is 
quite uh, harmful and does increase your risk of having a very, very poor outcome from those things. So I urge you to get your flu shot regardless um, of whether you're a child or an adult. And I would recommend that that happen before the end of October. So that's kind of my my prescription for healthy living over this next month is uh, to get your annual flu vaccination there. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app.